Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 131, The Downfall of Modern Life. I've played with a couple of different titles. Um, you know, it's, the, the idea here is that we are in the time of modernity. We live in the time that we live. There have been improvements compared to 500, 100, 10,000 years ago. We tend to look at these things as being, quote unquote, advancements, as if we were more highly evolved than we used to be. But the question I want to ask today is, you know, what's the real value? What are the, what are the costs? So another title I thought played with sort of the cost of enlightenment, right? Everybody attributes all these great elements of progress that we've made as a human society over the last few millennia, let's say, and, you know, touts the wonderful um, things that modernity has brought us and that enlightenment has taught us. And yes, there are many good things. I've said this many times before, low infant mortality, sanitation, healthy drinking water, sewage treatment, you know, technologies like, <laughs> I mean, what do you going to say, the internet? I mean, that we have made a lot of good improvements. Now, it's hard to tease apart these artifacts of modernity, let's call them, the things that we've done that have quote unquote made our lives better. It's hard to tease those apart from the number of people on the planet. Because those are the two, that's the biggest sort of conflating variable that I see if we're comparing now to times past is this idea that, well, there were fewer people, you know, 50 years ago, there were half as many people. 75 years ago, there were a quarter of as many people, approximately. You know, when you go back 10,000 years, there were tiny numbers of people and everything was easier when there were fewer people. And that sort of brings up the idea of scarcity. You know, the more people there are, the fewer resources there are, the more something like scarcity becomes reality. But I think what we really are dealing with now is artificial scarcity that is exponentially increasing and exacerbating the number of people issue because now fewer and fewer people are holding more and more of those resources, exacerbating scarcity. So it's not like there was probably a time where most resources were fairly equally distributed among all the people on the planet, say 20,000 years ago. Everybody had kind of similar access to food and shelter or whatever. There was plenty to go around. As we became, became more crowded and villages became more dense, yeah, those things started to change. But then only in the last like a few hundred years where wealth is concentrated into fewer and fewer people's hands have those resources sort of exponentially been removed from the commons, right? Uh, so that, that scarcity is artificial, but it's also exponential. Um, which creates very real problems. And so just a few things I want to get at here. Whenever you're talking about, you know, plenty of podcasters and news articles and journalists and um, talking heads are pontificating about what's wrong with the world. And I do a lot of that on this podcast, just pointing out things like, you know, income inequality is a problem. Social justice is, is not happening. You know, there are, there are obvious solutions to these problems. But the people who are trying to change how to, how to actually articulate the steps required to make changes are few. And part of this is because 
these observances about what's broken, like income inequality or air quality, uh, climate you know issues, all all of the you know, pick it. You, you all know what the problems are. Those things are easy to point out, and it's fairly easy to point out solutions. And, and what do we do? We go, well, the Earth is too warm. Well, that's because of CO two. So let's make everybody release less CO two. Okay, okay. Um, this type of approach, a mechanistic undoing in a stepwise manner, and sort of a literal linear reversal of the steps that got us to where we are, is not a solution. Because inherent to that plan is that the rate of undoing is essentially the same rate, maybe slightly quicker than the rate of doing. And that's it's not going to work. It doesn't work like that. It's sort of like building a habit, right? It's a uh, it's really easy to develop said habit like addiction to nicotine. You have a cigarette. Yeah, you have two cigarettes. You have three cigarettes. Pretty quickly, you're going to be smoking a pack a day. Quitting is not a reversal of that. It doesn't work like that. You don't go down. You know, you could imply the same path. Maybe I'll have a few less today and kind of work at it that way. But that doesn't work. You know, it has to be some sort of scorched earth plan is what generally works like a cold turkey. Not saying this is a universal statement. I'm just saying we don't have time to slowly fix the problems we have today within the constructs and the methodology of how we actually can do things like voting or paying lobbyists to change. No, th th those aren't solutions. I think the only solutions we have left are going to be sudden, massive, and uncomfortable. And, and if we're not willing to do those things, they're going to happen on their own. And I'm not being doomer or like predicting things like next year the internet's going to crash and everybody's going to die. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if we don't make massive shifts, if we don't recreate the system that got us into this mess, then probably nothing's going to happen. Let's just be honest. These slow changes, like how... How long did it take, cigarettes is a good example, for us to sort of reduce smoking in the United States? Probably over 50 years. Once we realized that smoking causes cancer, first of all, we can't even really admit that. We slowly diminished smoking as a habit. And then what happened? Everybody's vaping, right? So, you know, we, you can't undo a problem the same way. You, you, can't, you can't logic... You can't get out of a problem using the same flawed logic that got you into it. And that's like that famous quote attributed to Einstein, something to the effect of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and getting the same results, right? We're not going to get results reversing climate change or stabilizing climate change, um, making people tolerant of all gender types, <laughs> you know, making people not want to be gluttonous with their wealth, you know, uh, uh, reversing scarcity in the in a sharing and gift type economy. Those things we're not going to vote our way into those kind of massive shifts, right? Um, and really, all this is is something I learned working a science job. I was a scientist on part of this job that was basically going into a county because the county mayor was interested and saying we have endangered species here, and there are legitimate laws on the books that say we can't do certain things because of these endangered species, but we want to do these certain things. For example, you can't build a house in this part of the county because there are endangered species who have habitat there. And so what this plan was supposed to do is get the 
the EPA, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the state environmental organizations, the landowners, the home builders, the constituents in the town, the voters, the the consumers and sort of everybody at the table that had any kind of dog in this fight or could it potentially be influenced. They call this a polarized multi-stakeholder group, right? It's a, a multi-user polarized stakeholder group, whatever you want to call it. A bunch of people all have different agendas, most of them polar opposites. And so how do you come in and solve this problem? And I was just the science representative in, in there and I could sort of come in and say, well, here's where there's good habitat and here's the species and here's what they need. And yeah, if you build there, you're likely to sort of destroy a tree that a woodpecker might use for a nest. Now, what's the probability of that woodpecker using that nest? Is it 0.0001 or is it one? That's sort of where I came in. But watching this all happen, I realized that there are no, there is no clean way. To, and in fact, after like, I, I quit three years in because I just couldn't stand the fact that nothing was happening and I didn't think anything was going to happen. And it turns out after about 20 years, 15 years into that project, nothing had happened and they finally removed the funding. I'm not sure what happened to it, but it ain't, it ain't there no more and nothing was done. So you talk about the fleecing of America, a whole lot of wasted, ultimately department of interior money. You know, it was a good, it was a good attempt, but something I learned on that job was this idea that I was responsible for called adaptive management, which basically said, I have to come up with a plan that works today. But into that plan, I also have to uh, consider unforeseen circumstances that might happen, like a global pandemic, for example, or like s climate change creating new tornadoes that knock down habitat that's nobody's fault. I, I have to build this into the model. So I got to be able to predict the future. And on top of that, uh, I also have to uh, account for all the other changes that could happen and build in specific responses I mean, my job was to basically say, yeah, if aliens came down and stole a bunch of bald eagles, what are we supposed to do about it? Crazy stuff. I mean, just ridiculous. But the idea was good that said, here's the rules you made at time zero. But there's also a set of rules that tells you how to modify those rules as you go through time. It actually requires you to check in on a regular basis and ask the question, are these rules still relevant? And all I could think about the whole time in this was, did the Constitution come with this? Does the Bible come with this? You know, don't we basically, aren't we, uh, and I'm talking about the United States here, but I think it's pretty similar in most of the modern modernity, right? Countries. We have these tenets that were created 50, 100, 300, 500 years ago that we're still following. And we're still kind of interpreting them to varying degrees, literally. But a lot has changed. And we really haven't revisited you know, we can amend the Constitution, we can make some, you know, silly, small changes, but fundamentally, we're still obeying a construct that is outdated. It's kind of like, why would you listen to your father to tell you to go into a business that he entered 50 years ago and make any assumptions about it being the same for you, right? Now, that's well-meaning, and all this is, has good intentions behind it, but as far as it being effective and achieving the net, the goal, whether that's reversing climate change, addressing issues of scarcity or helping your child get a good job, you know, is it working? No. And so that's what adaptive management's all about. Every once in a while we have to go, is this working? And I think, I, I can't think of anybody who, if you said, is the American politics working? They're going to go damn straight. Or is, is a capitalism working? 
Who and, and if it is, then who for? If it's working, it's working for a smaller and smaller number of people. And that ought to be some giant red flag that requires some adaptive management response, right? The stimulus is the system seems to be broken. The response needs to be, okay, how do we fix it? And I think it is. The problem is we only have this very narrow option of how to fix it. And basically, uh, in talking with a colleague of mine earlier, he basically said, well, that's lobbyists. And so that's money and that's power. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, I get that. I get that. If you're being bullied by someone who's got a big gun, then you go back home and get a bigger gun. I get the logic of that because that's how you're going to win. But isn't that like Hollywood simplified? Don't we have more options? Isn't today, if never before, the time to sit down in a multi-polarized stakeholder user group sort of atmosphere and start coming up with new ideas? And the first idea I have is is a is kind of like a, a, a that we have to relearn government, politics, society, community, norms, values. We gotta go back to the start, man. What are we trying to do? Do we approve of gluttony because that's what we're rewarding? Do we approve of abuses of power and narcissistic personality types? That's who we choose to be our leaders. Is that our intention? If not, what is? What are our values as a country? As a NATO, you know, as a global civilization, what are our values? And, and can, we, can we agree on those things? And can we go back then and look at our existing infrastructure, geopolitical infrastructure, and go, this is not working. This does not align with our values. This permits too much of this activity that leads to this activity. We need to redo this from the ground up. And, 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 and I'm just going to suspend belief for a minute. Because I can hear all of the millions of screams of anybody who's currently involved in that system in any way, be they capitalists, economists, you know, bankers, politicians, you know, they're all going to say, you can't do that. You know what? (laughs) Don't tell me what I can't do. And I have a feeling you have the same attitude. Don't tell you what you can't do. Why not? Because it's going to cause too many problems. Well, think about what we're doing right now with, uh, well, we'll think about cigarettes. Go back to that example. We can't tell people not to smoke because it'll put the cigarette industry out of business. People said that. People said that. They're saying it right now about the oil and gas people. We can't switch to renewable electricity, you know, with solar because we already have all these gas stations. And think about the families. What about the children? You know, no, (laughs) no, no. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than... Because really, what does all that really do? It just protects the corporations, right? They're just saying, if you do that and these people don't have jobs, then I don't have a business, then I can't sit in my mansion and hide from all of it and pretend that it's not real. That's what's going on. Let's just be honest. It's not working anymore. And so what does this lead to, right? Okay, then so what? I'm telling you, the solutions to our problems will not be realized by following the scripted procedures inherent to things like the constitution or existing geopolitical systems. It won't. Anarchy? Do we uh, revolt in the streets and just start scalping people? Uh, You know, that's not what, no, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. And why would you go there? It's sort of like somebody saying, 
Well, I believe in income inequality and universal basic income is a good idea. Socialist, right? You're, thro- <laughs> you're throwing away opportunity for new ideas. New ideas are the only way we're going to solve any of the problems that we have by starting over in a relearning, regrowth, and not growth and expansion kind of way, but a relearning kind of effort is going to be to start over. Get the out of the, you know, the, get people like me. Of course, I'm not going to do it. Well, I would do it if it came to that. I'm not sure I'm the right person to do it, but I do have a personality trait that makes me suitable for this. And that is, I am not, I don't have allegiance to any of these pre existing systems. If anything, I'm biased against them because I just think they're so flawed um, or they're, they're so not working now that we need a different thing. And, and I have this automatic personality trait to just sort of consider all the variables. I don't care. Throw all the stuff up on the wall and let's look for a pattern that makes sense with a bunch of other people so that it's not just me. That to me, that's that just as obvious, but I don't think it is obvious to most people. I think most people, most people's knee jerk reaction is to stay within the construct that we have been trained to obey things like the constitution laws this the op, the the alternative to that is not necessarily a no holds barred <laughs> you know uh, selfish anarchy type approach to the world and not at all it's simply a relearning with an attempt to minimize influence you know when i was trained to be a scientist that's i believed in all that stuff right i believed in the scientific method as being a valuable and uh, i'll say it superior standardized way of answering a question and it allows for all of the ideas it just it just requires that you try to minimize your bias and be as open as you possibly can by testing a hypothesis and then being honest about those conclusions and then moving on to the next thing and i think this can be done and i and i think there are you know i stumble because i'm i'm not going to solve the ultimate big problem, you know, who cares if conscious, what causes consciousness, you know, this is the real big problem. How are we going to solve, how are we going to get ahead of the current problems humans face on this planet before we don't have a choice anymore? Right. And then, you know, that might, that might be a 10,000 years. I don't know. I'm not trying to act like it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm just saying this is an opportunity to employ an adaptive management step where we go, is this working? And if not, why not? And if not, what else? In a new and open-minded and um, egalitarian, dare I say socialist, way of re-identifying values on a global scale to see what we really stand for as a species and as a civilization and how we're going to do that. And on the way... Admit some pretty painful things about ourselves. Like, you know, my religion for thousands of years, and this is a tough one, has considered women to be an inferior gender that's only meant to do A, B, and C. And that's what our religious scriptures say. Well, you know what? That may not work anymore. Um, I believe that I should be able to own land and things and do with them as I see fit. You know what? 
the world may not agree with you anymore. And therefore, we might have to put up some sort of norms or shame exercises or even penalties for that sort of behavior. You know what? Tough shit. And that's going to be the hardest part of this whole thing is getting people. It's like I always say, if you live in South Florida and you grew up without air conditioning and then all of a sudden you move into a house with air conditioning, guess what? You're never going to be able to live in a house without air conditioning again. Letting go of these comforts that modernity and the enlightenment have led us to is not going to be easy. Compromising for the greater good is not something we're good at. But you know what? I think we used to be. I think this used to be obvious. I think people are basically born under, and this is what is meant by we're all connected. I think people are born understanding that. It's society and the artifacts of things like the Constitution and laws that teach us to believe that we're not. I think we'll actually find the, 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 the dilemma, the issue, the, the point at which this all fails is when you look at your neighbor and there's a cheeseburger sitting on the street and you go, well, I don't need that cheeseburger. But if I don't take it, they're going to take it. That is what creates these problems. Somebody wanting to take that and not just automatically going, who needs the cheeseburger? And trusting, trusting that your fellow human beings will be honest about that and will be coming from a place of communal awareness and uh, equanimity and uh, more of a, a equality, right? Fear of each other's behavior is why we're here. And it's time that we sort of address that and deal with it or let it drive everything that we do and see where we end up. Because that's the path that we're on. And like Einstein is attributed to having said, if we keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, then we're idiots. We're insane. We could, you know, I'm fine if we all, if, if this process, say we could implement this process and we all get a representative from whatever size we decide a representative needs to represent and narrow this down to a point where we've got some meaningful number of people, let's say a hundred that represent the entire earth and our positions. And, and we, and we're comfortable with that sort of system. And we come to a vote and everybody says, you know what, we're going to double down on the bullshit that we've been doing for the last 10 years. And we're going to hope that it works out, you know, not what I want. But if that's what the, the, the sort of equanimous methodology results in, then I have to be okay with that. And I have to let go and go, you know what? I'm going to hell in a bucket. But at least I'm enjoying the ride, right? Or I mean, whatever, whatever that looks like, I'm okay with that. And, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. The difference is a lot of us in the you know, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. And, and, and there are a lot of other people out there saying these same things. And, you know, we're getting to a point where the next step is sort of organizing us together. Uh, but I think this is, it, it's, it's, an, a, it's a feeling of global awareness that's happening. And it's a remembering of the way that our ancestors lived, right? It's a reflection on our past based on not wanting to be where we are and how we're going to go about solving that problem. So it's like, I don't believe accepting the status quo is the answer. I don't think that's the answer that we want. You know, I think there's enough of us, you know, whether it's 51% or 49% or 10% or 90%, I don't know, but I'd love to, well, this is why I do this, you know, is to add my voice into these, this, um, rousing sort of rumbling that's happening. Uh, and, and, and I think 
I believe there are, are ways to solve these problems that are, you know, simple, but maybe not easy, but they're totally doable. Um, and anyway, that's what this is, episode is about. It's sort of the the downfall of modern life and where do we go next? You know, I think it's pretty easy to predict where we're going to go next. It's going to it's going to maintain this sort of a shape and fewer and fewer people are going to uh, have an easy time and more and more people are going to have a hard time. And, you know, it's not hard to think about how that ends in not a pretty way at some point, especially if you look at history, the oppressed get sick of it, you know, after a while. And, uh, and then something will happen and maybe that's how we're going to end up doing it. But, you know, it's like, we're better than that. <laughs> and so what it's exciting for me to think about, is there an opportunity to get ahead of that? And it isn't what we've been doing. It, 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 despite the well-meaning intentions by a lot of this sort of renewable energy, electric vehicles, homesteading, the ruralification, the great simplification, these are all great things. And they're all heading in the right direction. Uh, it's just, it's just going to take a, a bigger... People are going to have to impose greater sacrifices in order to make change, is all I'm saying. Now, maybe I'll continue this in episode 132, but this has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 131, The Downfall of Modern Life. I'm Chris Bircher. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.